everybody and welcome back to the Get Me Started podcast. Before we get into today's content, I'd first like to pay my respects to the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, who are the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded and this land was, is and always will be traditional Aboriginal land. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and would encourage each and every one of you listening to do some research and understand whose land you live, work and socialise on. Today's topic is idealism and identity, talking all about things to do with changing your behaviour, being yourself, knowing yourself and where we feel most comfortable in our identities. I would like to thank everybody for all their contributions to the questionnaire. There were some amazingly insightful responses and I could tell that so many of you took some real time to sit back and reflect on the questions being asked and you're going to really be able to see that in the content that I have for you guys today. It was such an interesting experience for me coming off the back of the last episode, being the first one that I've ever released and putting this out there to see what the reaction would be and how you guys would all engage with it and it's just been such a heartwarming experience for myself as a creator to see everyone really get behind this idea so I hope I can do your insights justice and I'm going to try out a few different things in this episode that I uh, hadn't considered doing before and we'll see how it all works out. So I guess the first part of this episode has to be around talking about what identity means as a term and as a construct for us as individuals and as a social group. Now Erickson, who is a philosopher, described identity as involving a subjective feeling of self-sameness and continuity over time. In different places and in different social situations, one still has a sense of being the same person. And this knowing thyself kind of attitude is really clear in the way that we think about identity. It's not just about what you give to other people, it's about what you know of yourself. And it's interesting when you consider the idea of self and a sense of self within schools of science and philosophy more generally, in that it's a contested idea. Can we have a sense of self? Is that actually inherent to the lived human experience or is it sociologically created? And I think that's a really interesting idea to keep at the back of your mind when we talk about these ideas of identity, because so much of what we comprehend socially has actually been very much constructed and is not necessarily inherent in the lived human experience. So the ideals and the benefits of knowing yourself and having a strong sense of identity are somewhat self-explanatory. We understand that to know yourself is to be more secure, potentially more confident, at least more direct in your ideals and your values. And something that really came out in the responses was an idea of self-awareness and a really strong clarity around your strengths and weaknesses and values. And those were the sort of key words that kept popping up in everyone's responses was that you know what you like, you know what you dislike, you know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do and what that's going to make you feel like in the long run. And obviously that has great benefit. If you can know yourself well enough to prejudge your experiences in a situation and to understand how something's going to make you feel, then 
that's going to make yourself generally a happier person and hopefully lead to better decision-making or more comfortable decision-making at the very least. I do think it's interesting the way we communicate about our identities, though, and how willing we would maybe be to put those strengths and weaknesses and put those values out on the table for everyone else to see, or if they're things that we in our own lives choose to keep internal because we place them against the values that society puts on us around what is actually good identity and what is bad identity. And we'll get into that kind of idea a little bit later. I feel like for myself as well, the more you know yourself, the less you know yourself because you understand that there is an everlasting wealth of knowledge to learn. And if you have a really firm construction of who you are, and that is concrete, that can actually be self-limiting because you're not open to growth and you've got a closed, fixed mindset that prevents you from being able to see potential change to reflect on your habits and behaviours and maybe make different choices going forward. But then at the same time, a lack of self-awareness leads to those same results where you don't reflect, you don't have an understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. You sort of are tumbling through life and everyone else is the problem, you're never the problem. And that kind of behaviour and mindset is really troubling. So finding that sort of happy middle ground of knowing yourself, being comfortable in yourself, but also being aware and cognizant of the fact that it's going to change and the way in which you interact with people is also going to change as time goes on. And I think these ideas of growth and reflection are really important when you want to take this stuff a step further and not just have an identity, but be able to actually articulate your identity and your values and all of these different elements to identity that you guys have pointed out through your responses. Some of the lines that I really enjoyed from people responding was the idea of that knowing yourself is listening to yourself when you want to be something different than how you normally see yourself. And I think that idea of tapping into your potential reflecting on that and then being able to actually activate change because you know yourself well enough into how you're going to react to change or what things you would need to do to make yourself comfortable in that change is such a powerful idea and another one was it is not an outcome to me but instead a continuous journey of discovery acceptance and tenacity and I think that was really nice I love that use of tenacity in the sense of having a bit of vivaciousness in it having a bit of you know grit having to keep going even if it's not necessarily what everyone else is also feeding into and that's a really really important part of having a strong sense of identity and the final one from this section that I loved and feeds into so much as well of how we treat others is the idea that you cannot really hate someone if you truly know them and so If you truly know yourself, you can't hate yourself. That to me was very powerful. Self-worth and self-care and self-love are fraught concepts and topics. And we touched on that a little bit in the last episode. But the idea that you can't hate someone if you truly know them rings true in the sense of if you really knuckle down into the little elements of yourself, if you consider and again reflect, I'll promise I'll stop saying that eventually, 
you can't really hate yourself. You can be unhappy in some of your decisions. You can maybe dislike some of the choices that you've made or some of the directions that you've taken yourself. But if you truly comprehend it all, can you really hate yourself? And I think that's an interesting point. Overall, the rating was a 7.4 for knowing yourself on average, which was a little bit surprising to me. I thought it could be potentially a bit lower, but I really appreciated the responses as to why people gave themselves that rating. And there was a very clear indication that this was something that came from a period of growth, that it hadn't always been this way, that there was times where people didn't know themselves so well. And a lot of the people as well who maybe rated themselves a little bit lower or in that sort of seven-ish mark, they acknowledge the fact that there's room for more and that part of knowing yourself is not knowing yourself and knowing that there's going to be future lessons to be learned. And I think this idea of growth is super important, as I sort of said before, but also in just age, you get to curate your own life experiences the older you get. When you're a child, your identity and sense of self is very much based around what you're given to experience, whereas when you become an adolescent and a young adult, you're actually actively choosing what you experience. And those things are going to shape your identity because they're choices. But obviously then through those experiences, you're going to come across new ways of life, new ideals and all of this that helps you to sort of formulate this sense of self. And I was speaking with a friend today about the fact that there's sort of a time period in everyone's life where it is very much a chop and change and there is a lot of meeting of identities and maybe uncomfortable feelings and riding the highs and lows of what you're going through to come to an idea of what your happy medium is. What is your core? What's your average self in that then you can best relate to your most happy self and your most sad self by knowing what your sort of middle ground is. I loved the notion that it's so easy to get swept along with life without ever feeling yourself in it. To really sit in life, to really contemplate life as it happens to you and as you act within it is something that not everyone does. And I think a lot of the time people do rush from one thing to another or they experience a strong emotion and they replace that with a different, stronger emotion because they don't want to have to grapple with those first emotions but then life is just happening to you. You're not being an active player in it when you rush along and don't pay attention to the way it makes you actually feel. Learning how to build up a gut instinct is so important in actually keeping that tenacity of your sense of self strong and holding on to who you are as a person. And I think we see that. We we applaud confidence and we applaud self-assuredness in society and in potential partners and things like that. But I think some of those things, when they're true, like when they're truly confident, like not flamboyant confident, but they're truly confident in themselves, that comes with the ability to sit and reflect and know yourself in a way that you understand your life. Life isn't just running at you full pelt. And I really think that that's such an important thing to think about. In contrast to this idea, someone else responded, to know yourself would require learning yourself, which would be an active process, and who has time to stop and think about themselves all the time? And I think that this is really important to recognise that 
It's not necessarily a supernatural feeling to stop and think about yourself deeply. And it's not necessarily a comfortable thing to do either. I think a lot of us do it on a surface level. A lot of us are really good at maybe, you know, knowing certain situations that impact us, but maybe not the why. Maybe not being able to unpack your more difficult emotions on a regular basis. I personally would just advocate that people do take steps to learn about themselves more and to think about themselves more regularly. We think about a lot of stuff every single day. And a lot of that time is spent thinking about other people or thinking about the things that we're doing. And whilst you're having those same thoughts, you can also be thinking about yourself because whenever you have a thought, that's yourself in a sense acting. And so if you begin to be more introspective and to take more time to learn about yourself, what can potentially come of that is a sense of being able to do it simultaneously when you're considering other things, when you have a thought about someone or a situation or an event, you can quickly ask yourself why. And that can build that sense of identity and that sense of knowing yourself because it's becoming second nature and it's becoming a part of how you do everything. And with that comes an ability to live a little bit more comfortably in yourself because it's more in tune with your everyday actions and your everyday responses to different scenarios. But I think we should always remember that even... People who know themselves super well sometimes do feel like that their feelings might surprise them. And I really like that idea that your feelings can surprise you because if they're surprising you, it means that you know that they're maybe not how you would normally react to something or you weren't expecting that reaction from yourself, which means you know what you were expecting and you know what your normal reaction is. And that's a really positive thing. I think that so much of this is internal And now I want to take it outside. Let's push it out into the other people that we're around and who we engage with. The majority of you said that you feel most yourself when you're alone, which I also fall into that category. So I understand that. And then with very close amounts of reference as well was friends and your partner, followed by family when you're happy and a few people even said always which is really nice because I certainly don't feel like that I think being alone is pretty self-explanatory you know if you know yourself or even if you don't know yourself that well when you're away from all other influences and pressures and different environments you're obviously going to feel the most yourself because you are You are the most free of obligation and therefore that's where it comes in. And the other scenarios weren't necessarily that surprising in where you feel most yourself. There were some really key areas, though, that people sort of pointed to as specific examples. Uh, Being alone in nature and feeling that tranquility and sense of blissful joy always makes me feel myself. Someone else said, when in the ocean... Maybe there is a level of comfort that comes through its isolated nature, but it also refreshes and clears the mind. When I am balancing in yoga, I can't be anywhere else but there in order to do it. And this was possibly my favourite one and something that people kind of touched on in their answers, but maybe didn't articulate quite as well as this person did. When it's like I'm talking and thinking at the same time. Like the thoughts aren't coming from within me, but they form on my lips out of nothing. If I can't express myself, I feel like I don't exist. And so many examples about 
when you felt most yourself was connected to a form of expression, whether it be through dancing, whether it be through connecting with your friends, having a laugh with your family, feeling calm and content in your own space. And that idea of expression, that's where identity really comes into play. It's the active part of identity. And it was really nice to see everyone reflecting on that and thinking about that as a concept that was really impactful to them, that being able to put yourself out into the world makes you feel the most yourself and the most secure in yourself. It's not going to be a real surprise that the people we feel the most ourselves around are the people who know us best, and that's going to be our partners, friends and family. So when we're meeting people that don't know those parts of ourselves and don't know our full identity, I think it's really interesting to reflect on the benefits and detriments of presenting different versions of yourself to somebody else. Part of the inspiration for this episode came from a comment about dating and how people often present sort of an ideal version of themselves or the version that they think that their date wants to see of them when they first meet somebody. And although it can be fun and there's lots of positives to that, and I'm sure we've all done it at some time or another, it's really interesting to think about what you actually get out of that experience. Is that person really meeting an authentic version of yourself? Sure, it can be skillful to demonstrate this sort of ability to adapt to somebody and to read into their body language and their likes and dislikes and feed that back to them in a way that's giving the best possible uh, reaction from them, I guess. But what, who gets anything out of that? Do you gain anything from giving them exactly what they want to see? And even if that person really enjoys the experience, it hasn't been authentic and it stops you from really tapping into the things that you're passionate about and that you want to express to somebody else. Because if you're constantly trying to impress another person, you're muting elements of your identity, which might actually be super important to you. And I think it's just fascinating to think about it in the context of actual benefit, because Most social interactions, when we're expending that kind of social energy, should come with a mutual benefit of some kind in the idea that even if it's that you don't enjoy that person's company or you don't want to see them again, you've gained something in the idea that you've been able to articulate yourself in a way that is comfortable, that a way that makes you feel fulfilled, and they walk away with the same feeling and can just know that they put their best self out there and in a way that was actually true to themselves, not the best self for the other person. Being able to read the room and give out these kinds of different alter identities to be the most ideal person in a situation can be something that people are really proud of in themselves. I know like saying that you're a chameleon in different social situations because you can always fit whatever needs to happen is seen as something that's positive, but When we do those things, we're setting habits, we're setting routines, we're creating patterns of behavior that may actually skew ourselves further away from our own sense of self. And although then we come to feel like that is who we are and we come to feel like certain modes of behavior are very true to ourselves because that's just part of what we do, it's actually limiting your ability to connect with your sort of more normative average self. And I mean average in a positive way of just like the mean of your identity rather than average as in lesser. So what are we avoiding when we do this? Why are we so afraid to just express our full self in every scenario? I know that, you know, there's social pressure, there's social cues, you do have to behave differently in different circumstances. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever 
alter your self-expression depending on the scenario that you are in. But when you're actually limiting your self-expression and who you are through these alterations, what are we so scared of? What are we backing away from? What are we trying to avoid? Because at the end of the day, you know deep down, even if you can't see it on the surface, that you're uncomfortable, that it's not right. And you have to learn to tap into those sort of gut feelings around these things because those patterns that you set in these situations do come into play in your life, whether or not you want to fully admit it. And this fear of not being liked or of not being good enough is actually quite toxic because we place so much pressure on ourselves to be liked by everybody and to fit in in every scenario. But there can be a lot to gain from recognizing that you're not going to get along with somebody or they're not going to love every element of you. And then that can be the baseline of that relationship. You can have a really insightful, really productive friendships with people who are never going to be your best friend or speak your praises to other people because it's a learning experience. It's a situation in which you are engaging with someone with a different worldview, with different beliefs and different values, and that can inherently be beneficial. But I think we're sort of taught that if somebody doesn't like you, that's it. Like, that's bad. That's that's too much. That means that everyone that they know also doesn't like you, that that means you can never be in that social situation. And it just doesn't really ring true when you reflect on it. But it's so hard to reflect on it when it's constantly happening and we're constantly switched on and we're constantly trying to make the best impression, which I think is something that this lockdown situation has probably been beneficial for some people. Yes, it might be uncomfortable to do so, but it has forced people to be alone with themselves more and potentially figure out more readily what their personality truly is, what their true values are, who they truly want to invest time into in their lives. And from that comes the ability when we re-enter sort of more normative social situations to be more comfortable with not being liked because you're more secure in the fact that you are who you are and not being liked doesn't have to inherently be such a negative feeling or experience. But that also has to be an active thing that we do for other people and that if you uh, dislike somebody or you don't connect with them in a way that maybe they're trying to seek a connection, that you don't make them feel undervalued just because you don't see their energy and you don't match their beliefs because we can't expect to be comfortable in being not liked if we as individuals in social situations are making other people feel unliked. There's a big difference between acknowledging a lack of connection and sitting comfortably with that and actively putting someone off from a social scenario. This makes me turn to work as well because work and the professional environment was the number one place that everyone was saying that they feel like they changed their identity. And it was something that people were saying instead of a given, it's expected, it's what we need to do to function in the professional world. And I definitely think that that's true. I know I do it myself. I think you'd be crazy not to in most workplaces, particularly if you work in quite a formal uh, corporate work environment where there isn't a lot of room for um, personal identity in the sense of, you know, personal information and background. But I do want to challenge the idea that that is a positive thing, because if you're going five days a week, eight hours a day minimum, to a workplace and putting on a certain professional persona that you inherently feel uncomfortable or disconnected from, 
you're creating a routine in your brain and you're teaching your brain and yourself that that's the only right way to be in the workforce and that's the only right way to exist for a large majority of your week. And that's going to bleed into the rest of your life. If you work in an environment that feels inherently disconnected to who your true sense of identity is, there's something kind of wrong with that in the long term. Because although you can do it, although you can change yourself and although you can meet the expectations, you're actually teaching yourself that your true identity isn't valuable in these ways. And I think that there is a fine line between grasping hold of your most professional self but not losing who you are in that process. And it creates this sort of normativeness of the switch on and off, work mode, life mode. But when work mode is the majority of your time, is it worth it? And that's not to say that you can just easily change your workplace or change your career path, but maybe there needs to be more self-reflection from our generation into how we expect people to show up at work. And that's not to say that we lose a sense of manners or lose a sense of, you know, being the correct kind of energy in the workplace. But also maybe there needs to be an allowance and a bit more space for the fact that the skill sets that we admire, the meritocracy that we feed into needs to shift to better reflect the broad spectrum of identities that can be brought into the workplace and then can actually really add value. Because just because we have a standard, that standard's been set by a particular kind of person in a particular kind of generation, in a particular kind of background of socio-historical political needs. And is there not space for that to change? Because a lot of people were expressing that they feel drained, they feel tired, they feel worn out when they have to be their most professional self all the time and that they feel a need to really reconnect with friends and family to remind themselves of who they really are. And although that might be the norm, that doesn't mean that it can't be shifted. And I think when we're entering these professional workspaces and we're going into maybe corporate identities, which, you know, are sort of further afield from our, you know, young, free, 20-something lives, we do actually have the ability to shift that expectation. It's not going to be a radical overnight overhaul, but if you're the next generation of a business or a industry, you do have the ability to weave in elements of identity and you can be the person that does that in your workplace. You can create space for others to be their fuller self. You can encourage other people's passions and interests, even in just your water cooler conversations. It doesn't have to be so fundamentally within the structure of the business, but just in the way that you cultivate the culture of your environment and the way that you interact with people. And I think there's a real need for that. And I think there's a real value in doing that and each of us taking a little bit of responsibility to recognize that if you feel continually drained and disconnected from your real self because of the self you're presenting at work, you do have the ability to shift that narrative. And I think that's really important to remember that just because something's normative, particularly in this scenario, it doesn't mean it has to always stay exactly like that. A thought that I want to leave you guys with is the idea that optimal identity development involves finding social roles within the larger community that provide a good fit for one's biological and sociological capacities and interests. And I really think that's so important because 
if you feel a disconnect between yourself and what you do in your day-to-day life, you do have the ability for many of us uh, to change that and cultivate different avenues of success and cultivate different pathways in your social life and also in your career that help you to feel more connected to your sense of self. And I think that that's so important when we consider our career and we consider our identity and where we want to go with our lives. If you have a more fulfilled sense of self and you're more willing to acknowledge that, yeah, okay, so this might be my dream industry, but maybe the role that I want to take in that industry needs to be different so that I can bring more of myself into my work. I don't live by the idea that you should always be passionate about your work. I don't think that that's necessary. Work can just be work for a lot of people, but I do think it's important to really sit back and consider that as an active choice, choosing a career that you know provides in a particular way for yourself, but knowing that your true passions or your bigger sense of identity comes from things outside of that is okay. It's circumstantial. It has to happen. We don't always have the benefit of doing what we love every single day because sometimes it's not a career, but I think it needs to be an active choice in the way that we do that because otherwise you are limiting your self-identity for such a large proportion of your time. And I think it's this sort of like false narrative that we've created that that's okay and that's healthy in any kind of way. I think real balance comes from being able to be as close to your authentic self as possible for the majority of the time in which you spend doing anything. And so really tapping into your sense of identity and making strong choices, even if they're hard choices, to ensure that you can connect to yourself The majority of the time is something that I think our generation really does have the benefit of exploring, particularly because we are expected to sort of change careers and change pathways quite often. It happens a lot more than it did maybe for our parents' generation. And I think if you've got the time to sort of consider your self-identity and you do feel connected to yourself, then fulfill yourself. Live to your values and your expectations because it's only going to benefit everybody really in the long run. This episode's been really interesting for me to record. It gave me a lot to think about myself and I feel like I've tried to impart some words of wisdom, but take it all with a grain of salt because I only know as much as most of you do. I hope you've enjoyed being able to hear some of your thoughts and the thoughts of those within the community as part of this podcast because it's something that I really want to build on, that sort of conversational element when I don't actually have another guest in the studio, but essentially you are all guests on the podcast in the way that you have helped to guide the conversation and give me different things to think about as well, even though I obviously consider these topics before I hit record. I am very open to any feedback or thoughts and suggestions or things that you would like to see me do through the podcast. This episode, I really tried to directly pull from the questionnaire results and let that guide the conversation, but it's just going to vary depending on what each topic is and how much response I get. So I really appreciate everybody listening. Hopefully the next episode will be a guest episode. However, because we're still in stage four lockdown here in Melbourne, I'm not entirely sure what the next episode will be just yet. Got to see what Dan Andrews lets us do before I make any big calls on that. Thank you once again so much for listening. Please add in any of your friends, family or people you might think would be interested in the podcast into the Facebook community and I will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.